2: Welcome in. It is Friday. Best time of the week. So much sport on the agenda for um, the weekend and today, as a matter of fact. Massive tennis tournament um, right here in Adelaide where I'm sitting. Featuring the world's biggest names, Novak, Rafa, Serena, Ash Barty, Smoleham, all in action today. Um, Looking forward to doing that. We may discuss that with Leighton Hewitt on the show a little bit later on. We're going to cover a lot of areas this morning. Was really interested in the test squad that's been announced to tour South Africa. Trent Copeland is going to have a chat to us about that and some of the big inclusions and exclusions. To be fair, we're going to talk some NFL with a guru over there in the lead-up to the Super Bowl. Plenty happening. Trade requests to Sean Watson wants out, Aaron Rodgers' future. And, of course, looking ahead to Brady and Mahomes taking uh, each other on in a week or so's time. We're all going to talk some NBL. The quiz is back. And i got a new little segment for you today, which I'm a little bit nervous to launch, but um, we'll see how it goes. And Johnny back in the studio has helped me out with that one. Most importantly, though, is your contribution to our show. You make it what it is. The number's one 736 736 Of course, you can send us a temper text, a mattress like no other, if you don't mind, 433 98. it is a sporting feast, the AFLW back last night as well, great to see, what did you make of the standard, I thought it made a significant jump on first glance, your thoughts were you there, let me know what the atmosphere was like, it was uh, a cracking game of footy I thought, but uh, let's launch into the show with some footy news, let's start it with this Getting close actually, um, getting really close. It is under 50 days uh, before Carlton and Richmond kick off the AFL season. That one's happening on March the 18th, hopefully in front of 50,000 at the MCG. Um, now in a week or so, the AFL Bible will be out. Uh, Brownlow medalist Lockie Neal will grace the cover of that one. It'll be all in all good news agencies and bookstores and it will signal that footy isn't too far away couple of weeks' time, the pre-season, albeit it's been halved, will begin and we'll get our first look at every team. So January is the month on the AFL calendar, it's the calm before the storm, but it's also the time when we start to analyse the fortunes of how our AFL teams will go this year. I want to ask you who you support and what your expectations are for your team this year. Uh, internally, clubs are starting to speak. You, you've heard it all week on, on on SEN and other platforms about what their coaches expect of the teams this year. But for you, what does success look like in 2021? So I had a look at all the clubs this week, uh, went through it, and y- you feel like, famous last words, but you feel like you've got a reasonable grasp on how the year will play out for the majority of the team. So let's go through it a little bit. You would expect Adelaide and North Melbourne probably to win between five and seven games each this year and finish um, last and second last on the ladder. That's what you would expect. You'd think that Fremantle, Sydney, Gold Coast, Hawthorne, um, you wouldn't think they'll challenge for the eight. You reckon they'll sit somewhere between seven and ten wins each. Melbourne, Carlton, the Saints, I reckon can think finals again. That is realistic. The trio probably finishing between sixth and tenth on the ladder. The usual suspects, Richmond, Brisbane, West Coast and Port Adelaide will be up the top. However, there are four teams in the competition I've got no grasp on. Uh, as in, it wouldn't surprise me if they played in the grand final or they even won it. But equally, it wouldn't shock me if they finished 10th. So these are the teams that I've got no idea about. We'll start with GWS. If they won the whole thing, would it surprise me? No, it wouldn't. Great midfielder. Got a decent ruckman finally, highly talented forward line and a really good mix of of leadership, youth and experience. But equally, they could bomb. Davis and Ward are ageing. The captain's out of form. The player exodus last year. Coach under the pump. Could they finish 10th? Yeah, I reckon they could. Could they win it? I think they could also. The other team... The Western Bulldogs, so they finished last year. They had Trelaw. heard Nick Del Sando on SEN say they've got the best midfield in the competition. They finally get some much-needed support for Tim English in the ruck in the off-season. If the Western Bulldogs win the flag this year, I won't be shocked. But I also won't be shocked if they finish 10th. What about Collingwood? The third team I've got no grasp on. Despite you know the off-season turmoil that they had during the trade period, they've got enough good players to do some damage in September. But how much off-field damage has been done? Uh, Have they got enough key forward talent to kick your winning score consistently? And Nathan Buckley will be the coach that we speak about most this year until and if he signs a contract extension. Eddie's leaving and they could crash right down the ladder and finish 12th and that would not shock me. And the last team, which may surprise some, is Geelong. Can they win it all? And should they win it all? Well, probably but not much is going to have to go wrong for it all to go horribly wrong for Geelong this year. I read Jeremy Cameron's done a hammy. That's a bit of a warning sign. Um, Dangerfield's flying to Adelaide to get his groins treated and he's speaking about playing more forward and that he's in doubt for round one. Dowhouse also. And they're old. Selwood's banged up and has probably been on a steep decline for a number of years. Hawkins is 30 plus, as is their new recruits, Higgins and Smith. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it all blew up at the Cats this year. They're the four teams I've got no grasp on. The Giants, Bulldogs, the Pies and the Cats. I'm scratching my head over them. The season isn't far away. Do you understand where your club sits and what does success look like for you this season? one three hundred seven 736 Let's get it going. You can send us a text 0433 98 1116. Had a good look at it and wouldn't be shocked on those teams if they win it, but also if they miss the eight. When you look at your team and you look at the fortunes for what you expect this year, what does it look like for you? And tell me what your team is and what your expectations for them are. We'd love for you to get us up and running this morning. one 736 -736. We've got prizes left, right and centre to give away. So let's hear from the Carlton president Mark Ludicushay about what his expectations are for his team this year.
3: Well, as I said, there's lots of uh, stepping stones and uh, there's lots of parts to the puzzle, um, and we think we're we think we're very very well placed to uh, to to play finals.
2: A few texts coming through saying, "Well, what about Essendon, Kane?" Well, yeah, probably neglected. I've, I've probably got them in a similar boat as Fremantle. You, you wouldn't expect that. Um, The Bombers will play finals this year. You think a mini-reset, go to the draft, um, top 10 picks, all of that, few new recruits, but probably not good enough to make finals. Pies to miss the finals, but club finally sees uh, the light and stop making captains' calls, says Martin. A lot of people saying, you left out Essendon. You left out Essendon. Well, there you go. Essendon, I think, will finish somewhere between... Uh nine and twelve would be my prediction for the bombers. One 736 So much I want to talk about this morning, but let's go to the phones. Mick's in Clyde North. The Tigers. Mick, what's your expectations and what does success look like for you?
4: Three peak for starters. Gotta go for the three peak.
3: Uh I know you're not a great lover of the Tigers and you had to swallow some over the last <laughs> year
2: or so. I've swallowed a lot of Mick. That's okay. Mick, Mick. Mick, the Tigers have made me swallow more than swallow my pride more than any other team in the comp.
5: Well, that's good. Uh my
3: team that I don't know what they're gonna do is Melbourne and I reckon he's the coach that's most under the pump. Yeah. Yeah. But I think St Kilda, a lazy grand on them might see you make some money. I think they're the outside chance for the flag.
2: All right, so mick got no grasp on Melbourne, and, and I can understand that. Now, what, what are the Demons going to deliver? W- would I be shocked if they made the grand final? Well, a little bit, but would I be shocked if they finished 13th? No. Yeah, so I think you could probably chuck them into that bracket, but I think they're probably good enough to make finals this year. Righto, Andrew wants to speak about the team that I'm getting abused for on the text line for leaving out. Uh, what's your expectation of the Bombers, Andrew? I know you're a big fan. Uh-huh.
3: Well, I am a big fan, and I think you're, you're not quite right in relation to where Essen's going to finish. Um, I think we're going to uh, finish between ninth and seventh. so we're not far off the mark there. And I think with all the young players, I, I just remember back in 1993 um, that Essen had a very youthful side and won the premiership, and mm. nobody gave us a chance that year. So who kicks the goals, Andrew?
2: The who, who kicks the goals for the bombers?
3: I. Okay, I can give it. To Harrison Jones it will be in the side in the first round. He'll kick a bag this year. Peter Wright has not fulfilled his potential yet. And I reckon that um, he'll have a, a fantastic year at Essendon. And and I think that the Anthony, you know, and you go for Carl Langford as well. And there's a lot of other young players who've come into the side who they've recruited, who've got talent. So we have a very good... If you go through the list of Essendon, they are, yes, young, yes, uh, inexperienced, but they're very talented. And tell, get you a long way. Okay. I
2: think- Glass half full, Andrew. Which, which, which well, I'm not going to knock you for you. are a positive guy. Um, but my question mark over the Bombers would be who consistently kicks their goals. And I know modern footy, you share it around a bit. But uh, I think that tall target, someone that can consistently command the ball in the forward line. Most successful teams have that. Appreciate your calls. Andy is on the road. Um, he supports the Brisbane Lions. What are your expectations,
6: Andy? Hey, Cain. Um Happy New Year. I know it's uh, end of December, sorry, end of January, but it's happy New Year quick. anyway,
2: mate. Thanks, mate. To
6: love, uh Yeah, absolutely. Got to love uh, delusional Essendon supporters, first of all. The name's four D-graders, and they're going uh, <laughs> to do anything apart from finish the bottom four, <laughs> kidding himself. himself. Um, for Brisbane, I think it'll be a failure if it wasn't top four, but there's mm. two teams that I'm all in on. And unfortunately, one of them's Carlton, and the other one's Melbourne. I reckon they'll both finish top six this year. Finally, right. they'll both both those teams will put it together.
2: Okay, Andy, I, I like I like your thinking for Brisbane. It's, it's probably going to have to go further, isn't it? We're probably going to have to play for the grand final. I reckon for that to be successful at Danaher Inn. Um and I reckon the salary cap squeeze will come on the lines when these young players need and want to get paid. So big massive year up there at the Gabba for the Brisbane Lions appreciate your calls who are you all in who are you all in on 1300 736 736 for Andy it's Melbourne and the Blues Nick wants to speak about that team Carlton Good day to you Nick
3: yeah morning Kane uh, nice to have you back uh mate look I'm a Carlton man but oh, like you I don't know but really other than Harry Mackay who's our other key forward you
5: can't rely
2: on McGovern. Charlie Kerno probably won't play. Mm. Have we got enough firepower up there? Well, he's a good one to, to have, I reckon. And, you know, two years ago we were thinking, D- the cult need to trade a key forward? I mean, that's how, that's how many they had. And uh, exciting young prospects go and spend a, a truckload on McGovern. I would think that... Um, nothing motivates a player like being out of contract. And I believe Mitch McGovern is out of contract. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a big year, super fit and gets it going. So uh, McKay and McGovern in the forward line is enticing for me. I think that can work. So I'm not as concerned on the Blues. In fact, for the first time in a long time, I'm pretty optimistic about where Carlton are at, and they should be. You know, they're at the stage where they should be optimistic, and finals should be an absolute minimum. And I think they will be able to achieve that. Steve's on the road. Steve, one of the teams I've got no idea about is your dogs. Uh, can you paint a clearer picture for me? Uh, I think
5: you're spot on the money. Unfortunately. Um, I think we can finish anywhere. I think anywhere in the in the top six is what we should be definitely definitely aiming at. My my main concern, I guess, is from a from a defensive point of view. How do we stop those key forwards like your Dixon's and Lynch's mm. and that sort of stuff in big finals? Like it's all good and well to, to have the midfielders that are that are, are going to get the ball, but what happens if the ball gets gets trapped down the other end? Um, I think the other thing that we need to to rely on is ensuring that um, Aaron Norton stays fit. Yeah. Um, he's just so pivotal to our forward structure. So with Damara yeah. coming in and that sort of stuff, it's so, so critical. I
2: was going to ask you about that. Aaron Norton, massive year for him, I reckon. Um, glimpses, looks unbelievable. Looks as though he could be a, a top 10 player in the league, but just hasn't quite put it together. I think you make a good point. Mark's in Sydney. Um, what'd you make of Andrew on Essen and Mark? You thought his comments were, were quite humorous.
7: Yeah, look, um, hey Kane, first time, long time. Love the show. Um, the Essen supporters just ring up every preseason, and they say they're going to be near the top and they're going to win or they'll hit a primary, um, preliminary final. Is there more? Is there a more irrelevant irrelevant team in the AFL? They're never competing. <laughs> you'll
2: They're get always... them going, Mark. You'll get them going here. Uh, what do you think? Is there a more irrelevant team, Mark? In Sydney is asking, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Don't get them fired up. We're 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 still in January. It's it's all happy. No one's won or lost yet. Bombers fans won't take that lightly. Hey mate, appreciate your calls and um, do enjoy the lighter side of the comments that we get on this program. Simon's in Bentley. Um, you're a mighty d's fan it says here simon a long-suffering one at that is 2021 the year
6: oh look i'm really unsure i mean melbourne is so hard for us tra- tragics that support them they could they could finish anywhere between 6th and 14th um i think the coaching is still unproven mm. and attitude has always been a bit of an issue you know that we're either up or we're really really down i think we've got Quite a few players that have been in the system now for many years that need to take the next step, and if they can, like Petrarca did, and I'm talking about Salem, Hunt, Brayshaw, Lever, even Wiedemann, then then they could, you know, definitely make finals.
2: Mm. I'm with you. I'm with you. So they, they weren't in the four teams that I've got that I've got no idea about because I think I think I think I know they'll sit between probably six and ten. I'm I'm confident in saying that. But which teams have you got no idea about? As in, it wouldn't shock you if they won the flag, but it equally wouldn't shock you if they finished 12th. Let us know. Uh, Fogs on the line. He wants to speak about Melbourne. Also, g'day, Fog. Uh
8: G'day, Kane. I've got
3: uh, two expectations for Melbourne. One, find uh, funny, and one uh, realistic. I'd say I'm fully expecting the club to launch a, uh, a six-part uh, video series <laughs> about how they're flying on the track and how they're back from hell, and it's all to hell and out. back. Mark two. <laughs> oh, yeah, can't wait. I mean, that really worked out last year. But uh, I reckon, realistically, I think if if Melbourne can get Ben Brown up and firing and he kicks 50 goals, they'll give them themselves every chance to probably at least win a final. That that'd Good be on nice. you,
2: Fogg. That's your expectations on the Demons. Win a final if Ben Brown can get going. And we'll quickly sneak in Longy. Uh, he's in Mount Martha. You want a response to those Essendon knockers this morning, Longy?
6: Yeah, mate, well I'm I'm a bit with you. I reckon we're gonna finish anywhere from six to twelve, but I can tell you mm. who's gonna kick our goals. Right. All uh, right. Harrison Jones, second year player, I reckon he might kick about twenty, which is pretty good return for a second year player. McDonald's Moody mm-hmm. kicked thirty. Right will kick forty, and Jake Stringer, everyone forgets about him. He will kick fifty goals. He came back in ripping Nick last year, kicked ten goals in the first three games. Came back with a body like Donald Trump, but he's in good nick now.
2: Well that would be a massive result if you could achieve the amount of goals you've just listed there, that would put you... I'll probably have you winning a premiership, I reckon, Longy. But I, I love the optimism. Get involved this morning. I've got no idea about the Giants, the Bulldogs, Geelong. Geelong fans are quiet out there. Have I been too harsh on the Cats? And there was one more that escaped me. Let's let's refer to my notes here. Who are the four teams i got no idea about? Um... Collingwood as well. Get involved. one 736 736 We love taking your calls. Massive show coming up. Got topics coming out of my ears. We'll get to more of those on the other side of this. Yeah, A lot of text coming through. That's thanks to temper and mattress like no other. 0433 98 11 on the teams you've got no idea about. And equally, what are your expectations for your side where just under 50 days before the AFL season We'll start Get Involved. Big show coming up. We've got a special guest on the show today and it's a story that I really look forward to sharing with you. Um, someone who went down to check the surf on the weekend and ended up saving two lives but tragically there was a life lost as well. We're going to speak to a local surfer by the name of Benny Roberts who lives down um, on the coast of Bowenheads. Heads. We'll speak to him very, very shortly, just after 10 o'clock, in fact. But let's whip through a few more of your calls. Jim's in Oakley. Um, Collingwood opened their AFLW season in fine form last night, upsetting the Blues. Jim wants to chat about that. G'day to you, Jim.
6: Hiya, uh, morning there. Kane, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> uh, top of the morning. It feels like i have been killed Kildare today. Beautiful <laughs> sunshine all over us, hey.
4: <laughs> Beautiful.
6: Uh, It's lovely out here, walking in the sunshine. Uh, Yeah, very happy last night to see uh, Chloe Malloy and uh, a couple of the girls, Bree Davy, giving a bit of biffo at half time. They took two of them to take her on. She got up and said, give me more. Bring Anthony Mundine. Bring out Mike Fitzpatrick. I'll fight everyone. Where's Percy Jones? And none of them wanted to come. And then we, we took them apart, and John Elliott and his son would be crying with wet cigars somewhere this morning, I
5: tell you.
2: Yeah, it's um, pretty wet out there. So I, I think uh, the the metaphor is the sun shining, but uh, it was a good performance. I, I Look, I didn't watch all of it, but it certainly had it on in the background, 6,700 there. I thought is certainly going to be a leap up in the standard. I, you can notice that. I mean, when you haven't seen something for you know, near on 12 months, and then you, you watch the improvement, the athleticism, um, the contest that you speak of. I thought was a was a massive improvement last night. So well done to both teams. It was a, a pretty enthralling match up and a physical one at that. Thank you to you, Jim. Let's go to uh, Chris, who's in Fairfield. Uh, you're a West Coast fan, mate. What's your expectations on the Eagles?
6: Yeah, good day, Kane. Thanks for taking the call. Um,
2: look, I think this this year might be our last year where we've got you know your Kennedys. Um, your McGoverns, your Shoeys, mm. we've got Kelly in there now, Oscar, he's coming along down forward, um, Hearn's on his last legs, I'm really hoping that we uh, we sneak a Premiership, mate, because we've had a bloody good side for four or
5: five years now, and um, yeah, just wanted to get your thoughts.
2: Well, I'm with you, I said the same last year, I think, last last chance probably, Um we gets injured all the time now, um, getting up towards 30. Hearn, uh, maybe one season left. Kennedy's the same. A lot of players that are getting up there in age, a lot of well, over 30s, given up a lot to get Tim Kelly. So the draft capital that's coming through isn't as strong as some other teams because of what they gave up for Tim Kelly, obviously, and, and for finishing up the top of the ladder. So perhaps last chance, but... Chris, it wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles won it. If they got it all together and, and won the whole thing again with the advantage they've got, we'll wait and see what happens with travel and and um, if that clown, Mark McGowan, is going to do anything with his borders for the majority of the year, we'll, we'll have a big impact on how far the Eagles can go this year. Appreciate your call. On the other side of this, I want to talk about um, something I noticed in a podcast during the week. It got me thinking of a topic that... I think you'll enjoy. Um, so we're going to speak about some more AFL, but a different take on that. We'll do that. Big show coming up. As I said, an amazing story from a local surfer down on the the Be- Bellarine Peninsula. Benny Roberts is going to join us uh, out at 10 o'clock this morning. We'll talk some cricket. We'll find out what Trent Copeland thinks of the squad heading to South Africa. No doubt there was a massive talking point Um this week and, and Tim Payne's future and all of that. We'll get to that with Trent. We're going to talk some NFL, massive news coming through for the NFL fans this morning as that trade deadline hots up. But let's catch up with the latest news with Meredith Gibbs. Good on you, Meredith Gibbs, the, the best in the business, keeping us up to speed. Right, I was uh, during the week, I was listening to the biggest sports podcast in the world, the Bill Simmons podcast. and. They were discussing what he calls a unicorn of sport, so NBA unicorns now. So basically it's it's a player, it's an athlete that they've never seen before. So So someone someone who's who's doing something that has never been done in that sport before. So let's have a listen to a quick snippet of Bill discussing the first unicorn that he noticed, and that was the great
9: Charles Barkley. And then there's the one we'll definitely never see again, which is the true unicorn. And... I, I think for a unicorn example to try to bang this home, for me, it was always Barkley. Yeah. I remember going to see him in person. I'm older than you. As a rookie, he was 6'4". He was 275 pounds and he was a runaway freight train and he would get a rebound and just go down like he got shot out of a cannon. Everybody would get the out of his way. He would be jumping in traffic against guys like, you know, Parrish and McHale, jumping over them to get rebounds. And all of us were just in the stands, like, what is this? What is happening? What is this human being? How did we get here? So that's the premise of the of the whole unicorn thing.
2: There you go. So someone we've never seen before, someone revolutionary, be it athletically, be it with their skill, or just something that you've never seen before. So it got me thinking, who are the current day AFL? Unicorns, And thank you to the BS Podcast for the audio there. I thought it's a great topic. So we're thinking someone like, in past years, Aaron Sandlands. am not sure we've ever seen someone do what Aaron Sandlands has done for Fremantle over a long period of time with the way that he played. Current day, AFL Unicorns. one three hundred seven 736 I'm going to give you a couple and we'll take your suggestions through on the uh, Temper Text line as well 0-4-3-3-9-8-11-16. So, Caleb Daniel is an AFL unicorn. We, we've never seen it before. Yes, we've seen um, short statured AFL players play footy before, and he, I don't think he's even the smallest that's ever done it. But we've never seen someone of his height, 168 centimetres, go to half back and play the style of football that he plays, to use the ball the way that he uses it. I mean, even him wearing the helmet is unique. It's something that we haven't seen a lot before for a player of his size at halfback with his creativity and his ability to use a footy. I've never seen it before. Happy to stand corrected. I reckon he's one. The other one, Mason Cox, AFL unicorn right now. Never seen it before. Yeah, we've seen tall ruckman uh, play in the ruck, but at 211 centimetres, stands in the forward 50 and calls for the ball on top of his head and takes contested marks. Does this always work? No. But I've never seen it before. He's an AFL unicorn. I am interested in your thoughts on this one. So I think Dustin Martin is an AFL unicorn, and he, he's an obvious one. Have we ever seen it before? Now, a lot of you have followed footy for a lot longer than I um, and you've seen a lot more players than what I have seen. So I'm happy to take your feedback and your thoughts on this. Is Dustin Martin an AFL unicorn, or have we seen it with Lee Matthews? So uh, are, are they similar? Now, I would say, well, Lee Matthews, quick Google search will tell you he's five foot eight. And yes, powerful, similar, go forward kick more goals than Martin, can go in the midfield and do what Martin has done. But I've never seen physically a player do what Martin is doing. 6'1", 95 kilos, powerful midfielder who who doesn't defend really at all, doesn't, doesn't tackle, doesn't even bother tackling, doesn't need to, plays forward of centre. That's where he gets all his ball and is a genuine match winner. So I think Dustin Martin is an AFL unicorn. I want your thoughts. Current day afl unicorns players doing things that have never been done before I'll take your thoughts on that and take your text as well um aaron davey off the text um message pretty much invented forward pressure yeah so i would say when he first started doing it he was a unicorn and since then we've had others follow through but the ones i just mentioned i'm, I'm not sure we'll see it again yeah you know, probably Cyril Rioli, similar to the the aaron davey model and a lot of teams and clubs wanting to get one, that high-pressure forward that can do that. Um, Let us know your thoughts on that. Current-day AFL unicorns, players doing things that have never been done before. Is Patrick Dangerfield one of those? one 736 736 Have we seen Patrick Dangerfield before? I don't know. We've seen a lot of big-bodied midfielders now, and they are more and more common, and every team would love to have one. Um, Kennedy, Cripps... Five Pelly have we seen one with the power and the explosiveness to be able to do what Patrick Dangerfield does? Probably, probably not. And um, a lot of text coming through. Um, Lance Franklin, AFL Unicorn. Yep, I reckon that's fair. But we'll wait and see whether Yamari Hagen is is similar to Buddy Franklin. I've read a lot that he is. So is he going to copy that? Another one coming through uh, on O four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. What about Nick Natnui? I reckon that is. Um pretty spot on. I'm not sure we've ever seen a eight-possession ruckman who is as explosive and damaging in the centre bounce doing what Nick Natanui has done. So that text message, probably spot on, and I would agree with Nick Natanui. Let's head down to Geelong and speak to Noel. Hey, Noel, have you got an AFL unicorn for us? Yeah, hi, Kato. Welcome back. Thank you.
7: Ah, uh, yeah, Gary Ablett Senior has to be the best unicorn
2: ever. He's better than Lee Matthews because he wasn't a thug like Lee Matthews was. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so. So you're you're a big Geelong fan, Noah. He's one of your favourites. Clearly, H- have we ever seen anyone do what Gary Ablett Senior has done before? And the second part is who's got the closest to doing what he's done. You're, you're probably right. I'm not sure we ever have seen Gary Ablett Senior.
7: No, I don't think there is anyone like him. That's why he is a unicorn, Kane, in all seriousness. I Mm. really do think he was the best. That 89 grand final was fantastic. I mean, I went to the game and he was just unbelievable.
2: Best game you've ever seen, Noel?
7: Uh, Pretty close. No, 2007 grand final was the best one. Sorry, Kane.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Noel's up and about this morning, isn't he? Jeez, whack. Cop that. Um, Yeah, Gary Ablett Senior... uh, Small in stature, really, compared to the modern day footballer. Not that I you know it wasn't my sweet spot of watching football. I was more the Carey era coming through as a young kid and captivated by what he was doing. But small in stature, so courageous and tough and hard. Sit on people's head, kick freak goals, powerfully built, and the way they went about it. We've probably never ever seen it before i think noel's right uh lee's uh, lou i should say he's got one for us so uh, welcome to the captain's run lou
6: hey can how you going good mate mate the macedonian marvel peter dacos i don't think anyone's kicked goals like he has from the boundary snaps wherever you want he's kicked them and the amount what about, that he what about
2: goals... so what about eddie betts well peter dacos
6: was first wasn't he
2: yeah so when, when he first came he, he was a unicorn i and you're probably right. Um, I wonder now, the, the, the three that I mentioned, and probably Nui, whether we will ever see that again. Um, I'm not sure. It's a good topic and it's fascinating. I'm, I'm interested in reliving your footy memories of, of the times that you've watched footy. Let us know the players that you've gone and watched and you've thought, I've never seen that before. Like, Dustin Martin, I know it's the neck tattoos. I know it's how physically imposing he is, but I've I've really never seen it before. Perhaps Lee Matthews, a few texts coming through, comparing the similarities, but there's the obvious differences as well. Fred's got one for us. G'day, Fred.
4: G'day, um, how are well.
2: you? I'm well, mate. Yeah, you know, I don't
4: know if you want to call him a musical or not, but I tell you what... Malcolm Glide's just about done everything in football, from coaching to Brown, to golf kicking awards, to state, you know,
6: representative
2: everything. Yeah, the most, probably the most well rounded CV. Uh, just ask him. Just ask Bloody. He'll tell you. But uh, you, you're, pro- you're probably right, Fred. Didn't see him play. I've seen, seen vision of it. But um, done everything in the game. Every award, every statue, every medal's named after him. And he'll tell you about it. Don't worry about that. One of the greats. Paul is on the line. I like this. Paul. G'day to you, mate. Who's yours?
5: Uh, I'm going to label this probably one of the biggest unicorns of all time in AFL history. No one ever saw anyone do anything like what Cuda did when yeah. he came into the game. Grab the whole ball in one hand, playing the ruck, playing the forward line, playing the midfield. He's the true unicorn of AFL.
2: Well, and I'm 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 jealous that you thought of that, and no, I didn't, Paul. That, that's what I am. I think I think particularly when he came on. Now, did he pave the way for the likes of? Pavlich to do, I know Pav played 85% of his footy forward, but excellent midfielder and an all Australian defender as well, and and probably had the speed and the power of Kuda. But uh, it's a great one. It's an absolute, when you saw Kuda play, you thought, I've never seen this before. Um, That is excellent. Well well done, mate. We'll see if we've got a prize for you or put you back to Benny. Gary's on the road. um, Who wants to speak about his namesake? G'day, Gaz.
4: Just.
6: About the Geelong,
2: like saying Gary Ablett Senior wasn't a thug. Ask Dipper what he thinks about that.
4: Mm, yeah, it was finally well, put one of his ribs through his lung. You don't reckon that was pretty? I it was pretty crude,
2: mate. Yeah, it was crude, and in in modern footy, it was crude. I wonder though whether back in in '89, you thought. You, the majority of people thought, gee, that's a good footy collision. So certainly the timing of it, the ball was in the vicinity. So back in the 80s, you probably thought that was okay. And no case science answer, different today. It was Gary Abbott a thug. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Not for those times that he played in. Mario is in, uh, Mario's on the line. He wants to speak about a unicorn for us. G'day, Mario. There you go. There
6: you go, Kane. Um, Mate, uh, I've got Jimmy Steins, the great Jimmy Steins. Young, lanky kid from Ireland
2: comes over and he changes the, the game in the ruck. He was unbelievable. Game changer. Spot on. Uh, you've nailed it. Um, awkward kicking style, but very effective. So durable. Big tank and paved the way for the the modern athletic ruckman. And we're seeing it now, aren't we? How, how many ruckmen need to be able to get around the ground and not just contribute at the Ruck contest and, and Jimmy paved the way for that. Really good one, Mario. Thanks for that. Uh, Tony's at Tullamarine. G'day, Tony.
6: Morning, Kane. Um You talk about Nat Nui, I just want to bring up a, a Ruckman. Simon Madden. I mean, his tack work was unbelievable. He's won a Norm Smith medal. I think he kicked over 500 goals as a Ruckman mm, too mm. Um, going forward. So you, you won't see another Ruckman like him.
2: Probably fair, I reckon, Tony. And we'll quickly sneak in Anthony and Lilydale. You've got one for us, Anthony. Who is it?
4: Good day, yeah, you There are a lot of uh, the most unique player I've ever seen. I've been watching the game forty years. Is Cyril?
2: Yeah, I had him. I had him written down. Um, uh, and and game changer as well, I reckon. So I think that's important. We've we've had a lot of suggestions. Cuda changed the way the position has been played madden changed the way the position is played you know caleb daniel you know probably not the first creative halfback. in fact far from it but a, a small one to be able to do that you're changing the way that teams set up across defense and And you're right. Um, So I think uh, we're getting some great contributions on the text as well. Um, We'll take some more of your suggestions on the other side of this. It is 16 minutes to 10 o'clock. If if you're in Adelaide, it's just before quarter past nine. You're listening to The Captain's Run. The number's one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 It is a big show coming up and looking forward to sharing um, a pretty heroic story. Now, we we have a bit of fun from time to time as we we do and we we talk sport, which doesn't seem that serious, but we've got a serious story to share after 10 o'clock. It's an incredible one. Uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Uh, Benny Roberts will share that after 10 o'clock for us. Trent Copeland with the latest on the test squad to tour South Africa, also the T20 squad as well, going to New Zealand. We'll get his biggest takeaways from that. He's been doing a great job this summer with Channel 7 and his analysis of the cricket, um, which has been pretty insightful, to be honest. Uh, Peter Bukowski is going to chat some NFL for us. Big news in relation to uh, Ben Roethlisberger, also to Sean Watson, Aaron Rodgers, and we'll preview the big one in Tampa Bay between the Bucks and the Chiefs. Looking forward to doing that. We'll talk some NBL. Have loved the start to the NBL season. Have uh, been to uh, two or three Adelaide 36s games over here. It's been it's been sensational, um, to be fair. And then Leighton Hewitt. Uh, looking forward to that big tournament in Adelaide today. A day at the drive. Asaka, Williams, Novak, Rafa. Barty, uh, Simona Halep, all in action as a host of um, smaller tennis tournaments get underway this weekend ahead of next month's Australian Open. The temper text is 0433981116 for temper and mattress like no other. Lots of suggestions coming through. Um, was Gary Ablett Senior a thug? Kane, he was reported 14 times. Jeff Blethen was an AFL unicorn for Essendon. He kicked a hundred goals wearing glasses. Yeah, I'm not sure that'll ever be done again. <laughs> Will anyone ever kick 100 goals firstly? And then will anyone do it wearing glasses? Probably not. So it probably qualifies. Uh, Joel says Soss was the ultimate swing man. Uh, Luke says Tony Libertore, most tackling an asset before it was fashionable. And he was small like Daniel, won all three medals the Brownlow, the Gardner, and the Reserves medal as well. Adam Goods is getting a, a lot of nominations here on the text machine as well. And Kane, not sure if it's been said, but what about Andrew McLeod? Changed the halfback role, didn't he? Uh, that's from Steve in Richmond. Um, probably did. Um, probably went to halfback before it was fashionable those halfback flankers uh, big news out of the Adelaide footy club as well. well surprising really with um on the eve of the season um with their CEO Andrew Fagan deciding to step down as well so if there's any Crows fans how do you reflect on his time at the footy club and the other Fagan in the AFL is Chris Fagan coaching the Brisbane Lions their biggest recruit is Joe Danaher let's get the latest from um Joe's coach Chris Fagan
6: uh, Joey Danaher. I need to know about Joey. How's he going up there? Is he uh, training every session or is he still in some sort of a modified group or what's he doing? No, he's
7: been uh, training with the group from from day one, so hasn't, <laughs> hasn't missed anything at all. Hasn't been modified. So, uh, you know he's training well and seems pretty happy at the moment.
2: There you go. Hasn't missed a session. Happy, training well. We're going to do a, a little segment called Over or Under a little bit later on, something, something. you know, it's not it's not unique, it's not revolutionary, certainly in the AFL world, but it's something I, I think might go okay. Where we, I've got Johnny back in the studio to help us out. He's going to read out five statements, and then I and we, um, you as well, have to come up with whether that statement, will, will it be over or will it be under? Now, Joe Danaher's not on my list, but if you were going to play the game for uh, over or under for Joe Danaher, if I said Joe Danaher will kick 40 goals in 2021, would you go over or under? I think I'd still probably take the under. I'm not sure I can uh, rely on Joey's body. But get involved this morning. Great prize to give away, as always, round of for two at Club Mandalay. We'll do the quiz later on. Leighton Hewitt's going to join us. We'll see if uh, Benny back in the studio, legendary producer, can pull out some mean tweets the first time this year. But most importantly, it's your call. So there's lines available right now. You can get to it. What has caught your attention in the world of sport? Joining the conversation with us here this morning, it's 1300 736 736. Back shortly. Uh, it's been a big first hour. I've appreciated your input into the show. We'll quickly sneak in Sam, who has got an AFL unicorn for us, something we've never seen in the game before. G'day to you, Sam.
7: G'day, Cornsy. How are you going?
2: Good, mate. Good.
7: Um, one of your ex-teammates, I think you would have played with him, uh, Gavin Wanganine, 1993 at Essendon, uh, changed the position of uh, back pocket, was uh, for the most unskilled player and... Um, I reckon he's
2: a bit of a unicorn change the game there. Yeah, well, we've had a few texts coming through on Andrew McLeod and some saying, well, did Andrew McLeod um, change the way the halfback flank was played? Well, probably got to give credit to, to your man, Gavin Wanganeen, doing it before that from a back pocket and, and probably that attacking halfback and winning Brownlows in that position hadn't been done if ever before. Uh, Text coming through before the 10 o'clock news with Meredith Gibbs. A lot of talk on Joey Danaher. As soon as Danaher gets to Brisbane, he's fully fit. Knock me down with a feather. Uh, Kane, Joe Danaher is done. He'll do an injury tying up his shoelaces in the warm-up before game one. Uh, James says Joe Danaher was in the modified training group 95% of his time at Essendon. And Brendan says Joey played possum the last couple of years at Essendon. Yeah, well, it wasn't wasn't pretty, was it, his last couple of years? Not not one to remember. Uh, for Joey Danaher, a big interview and guest coming up on the show out of the 10 o'clock news. You want to stick around for that. But it is time now for our next guest.
6: Good evening, a Bowen head surfer is being hailed a hero after saving the lives of three children and
2: a father in separate rescues at the same beach. That audio, thanks to Channel 9. That surfer goes by the name of Benny Roberts. He's been good enough to join us this morning. Uh, Benny, thanks for your time.
8: G'day, Kane. No worries.
2: So you're a local surfer, a bit of a a local legend, it it must be said. You go down Saturday afternoon to check the surf, as you would probably do three or four times a day. Um, What do you see? (laughs)
8: Uh, I arrived at about 4:30 on Saturday afternoon, just finished work, and um, rocked up to one of the local beaches. And there was, there was a fair bit of swell around, which I was pretty excited about. And uh, wasn't well, to be honest, where they, where I was going, there was actually no one surfing. Um, it was kind of reasonably good sized swell, and I was getting pretty excited about that. I'd had finished the day. Um, I was sort of scouring up and down the beach where I should have, or where I was looking to go out, and I saw. Uh, no one was out there and I was getting excited and then I was just about to actually leave that particular beach and go to a beach a little bit well the next beach along where it's actually was a fraction bigger and I just looked down and I saw there was the three people um, just entering in the water or they're probably already in the water and they're probably up to about their waists um, and there was a fair bit of swell and a fair bit of water moving. It was quite a full tide. It wasn't fully high, but there was a fair bit of, like the tide was incoming, so there was a lot of water moving around. I I looked around uh, to the east and to the west again, and then as I looked back down, they'd moved, they'd separated apart. They were probably a couple of metres apart, initially two or three metres apart, and then within a matter of seconds, they were probably 20 metres apart from each other, maybe even a fraction more, and one of them was sort of, heading a fair way out to sea as well as mm. the other uh the other parties uh, sorry the other two and i thought to myself oh this doesn't look good these guys don't really look like they know what the conditions are um and didn't look like they were you know a sort of a maintaining level of comfort to you know get get back in from the ocean and i sort of thought to myself oh this is looking a bit nasty a bit scary um and as, as that happened um I looked down again, and the daughter, who was the closest to the beach, actually um, sort of started waving. As I turned, I heard a noise behind me. I turned around. There was a fellow there, and um, he just rocked up in boardies, and he sort of made the comment, "Oh, it's good size, isn't it? It's pretty big." And I said, "Yeah." And I said, and I just actually turned around to him and said, "Oh, hey mate, I think these guys down here are in a fair bit of trouble. I'm going to go in and uh, give them a hand. Um, Are you okay to, you know, give us a hand?" And he said yeah no worries i've got a surfboard in the car i've never met this fellow before it was a mm. fellow by the name of tomo from geelong um so we both ran to our cars he grabbed his board i grabbed my bodyboard and flippers and weddy, um put my wetty half on we ran down the stairs by the time we got down to the stairs they would have been at least 100 to 150 meters out to sea wow. and there was two other people that there was another family um that was on the beach further down the beach. And there was two of, those, two of their members had gone in to help them, um, they're, just, they're swimming out to help them. There was another a family of people on the beach and I just yelled at them and said, look, you need, we need to call the ambulance and you need to quote this number up the top because at that stage they were just dramatically getting pulled out to sea and we could tell mm. that they weren't... you know, I could tell that there was no way that they were getting getting back in. So we went out, raced out. Um, Tomo went out and, and he got the, the, the boy. Uh, the One of the other swimmers had was helping the girl probably I don't know how far off the off off the shoreline and I grabbed the swimmer and the and the daughter um with my bodyboard and, and got them in to where they could stand on the rocks and then and I was talking to the daughter and and um asking her how many people there was because I didn't really know whether it was the same group of the party on the beach or whether it was or who how many people were actually you know out in the ocean uh and then she, we went went back out and by that stage there was uh, the other guy, Tomo, had got the the son in. He was pretty exhausted, and that had, that had taken a few minutes. And he got him into the almost to the beach, and we both went back out. Uh, I ended up having to get one of the guys that had gone in to help, um, help with the with the family that were in trouble, because he was actually in a fair bit of trouble himself. Mm. Uh, he was sort of screaming out for help, and he was emotional and had tears in his eyes, and he was pretty concerned and starting to panic. Um, and I and I sort of consoled him and calmed him down and sort of helped him get in on my bodyboard, sort of bear hugged him to to get him in, and then we both me and the other guy both went out um, and we went went out searching for for the dad, but unfortunately uh, couldn't couldn't find him anywhere. The two the two rescue choppers came; they were sort of hovering over our head. Um, I was sort of paddling up and down and around uh, through the lineup, and then a little bit further out to sea. But unfortunately, yeah, couldn't couldn't locate the dad. And then they uh, spotted him one of the Wesco, uh, the helicopters spotted him, and then they winched him out and uh, tried to revive him on the beach, but uh, weren't successful. So that was uh, that was a bit that was pretty sad and disappointing. And mm. um, yeah, it was, was just one of those things that uh, just goes to show that you know, it can happen very very quickly. I was shocked at. Uh, how quickly it happened I've, I've been involved in a couple of incidences before and uh, certainly none of them escalated as quickly as this did um, and then yeah, quite ironically uh, I just did a little story for Channel 7 and Channel 9 on a Sunday afternoon at the beach where the incident happened the night before and I was about to paddle out and surf a wave at um, the, uh, the same beach with a mate Cam Lampard and we were literally about to Jump in the water, and I was re- recalling a st- what had happened before to him, telling him what had happened, and then a mate, Minnie, was yelling from the top, and about 150 metres down to the east of where we were, um, almost the exact same scenario was unfolding: mm-hmm. a daughter, a son, and a dad, um, both all caught in the rip, and uh, they were the son and the, do- the son and the dad in particular were in a fair bit of strife luckily for that in that case another fellow was coming in from the surf out the back and he was able to assist and get the daughter in uh and we cam and i assisted in getting the son and the um the son and the dad in and they were both in pretty bad way that it swallowed a lot of water um the, the dad was you know blue fully blue face and very poor circulation and blue hands and um lucky enough the uh, the paramedics came and they were able to Assist him on the beach, and as of Wednesday morning, um, they were they were on the mend, but they'd they'd been in hospital for a couple of days because they'd it, it had so much water, you know, in on their lungs. So they were both uh, both lucky boys as well. Well, it's frightening. Uh, ben Roberts joins us.
2: He shared the story with us, basically how he saved numerous lives in the space of one weekend. Tragically, uh, a Bowenhead's father uh, lost his life in a drowning. Now, Benny, there's been 40 drownings in Victoria since July. It's, it's the worst year on record. And yeah. I think you've been a big advocate for certainly more signage in and around where you live because there isn't enough warnings, clearly, and, and people aren't understanding of the conditions.
8: Yeah, they're not. And I think probably what it comes back to, Kane, is there's a lot of, like, the education at schooling um, with local surf lifesaving, uh, those sort of things, are so important for kids. Um, anyone that's coming to the beach, I mean, unless you're here all the time um, and you're a very competent ocean person, you know, it's Mother Nature and, you know, the signs are, the signs definitely will help and we need more of them. Um, you know, we've got, because the... the population increase of of where we, we live locally um and the people that come to the beach obviously on those warm days. You now the car parks get full and sometimes unfortunately, like in these two scenarios, people that um aren't competent with surface conditions and ocean ocean conditions, they just go to the next car park where they can get a car park. And sometimes those beaches have got a bit more swell or a bit more dangerous. So yeah, definitely need some you know, we definitely need some extra signage and we definitely need some um, you know, more support and the, the, we're just very fortunate for, in both scenarios that there was people the you know the local surfers that have an understanding of what was going on and were able to you know raise the alarm in both scenarios and then and then get get people to shore because um if if they if they weren't there in both scenarios we'd be talking about the numbers being significantly up mm. um and it's it is uh it is, yeah, we do have a, a bad record this year certainly in Victoria. Um and it's just yeah, we're very fortunate that again, like minded surfers were able to um leave assistance and, and we're certainly rallying behind our local local councils and stuff like that to get, you know, some more notification to the beach, um and, and to give people you know, show people the warnings I guess of, you know, that there is often rips or swell or undercurrents and, and um you know, unless it's well, I always say to people, if if it's above head high and you're not an ocean person, mm. it's probably not the best place to go in because mm. you, you know unless you're a person that's in the ocean all the time, it can happen. It can change and turn on you very quickly.
2: Well, Benny, you're an absolute hero, mate. Thank you for raising awareness, for sharing your story, um, and oh, just just a massive pat on the back to you from everyone here for for saving lives. We often talk about sport here; it seems quite trivial when we get a story on like this, but I appreciate your time this morning.
8: No worries, thanks, guy.
2: Benny Roberts, good real estate agent as well. Um, Check them out, Bellarine Property. If you're looking for a magnificent spot to buy or sell, um, he will sort you out. Um, Ordinary people doing it.
7: In your toughest time, Messages of Hope can inspire you with real stories of hope and provide practical tools to get you through. To learn more, go to messagesofhope.org.au.
3: On SEN, the captain's run with Cane Corns.
2: Yeah, if you're just joining us, the big news uh, that has just come to hand breaking right now is that Hawthorne have announced that Ben McAvoy will captain the footy club after what they're calling an exhausting process, which has been facilitated by um, leading teams, which is the leadership consultancy group that's done work with well, a lot of AFL clubs probably since the late 90s, and they've had a couple of since at Hawthorne. So McAvoy's going to captain the club. Uh, Jago is going to be the vice-captain. What I do like out of it is the one-captain, one-vice-captain model. Um, I think that's the way to go. There's a six-person leadership group. James Warple has been uh, added to that group, and continuing their roles is Shields, Gunston, Mitchell to round out the leadership group at the Hawks. I want to take your calls, Hawks fans. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. I am i am really shocked by that decision. He turns 32 uh, in July this year. And I understand the... Um, well, I guess it's a bit confusing when you've got your two biggest candidates. I would have thought Gunston and Sicily were the obvious choices. Um, but they're injured. So that did make it a little bit complicated. But, yeah, if you had given me 10 guesses for the Hawthorne captain prior to when these sort of murmurings started and they voted, uh, Ben McAvoy wouldn't have been in the top 10. But um, what's your thoughts, Hawks fans? Let us know wet in Melbourne today, absolutely teeming down. So if you're on the roads, um, drive carefully um, and look after yourself. Hey, the, the Squad to Tour to South Africa, it's happening next month. It's a, a really important series. That goes without saying on the back of what happened um, at the Gabba in the fourth test match there where the Aussies lost what I thought was the unlosable test match. The squad's out, and there's been some big additions and there's been some big exclusions. Who better to take us through it than Channel 7's Trent Copeland? Uh, Trent, thanks for your time, buddy.
10: No worries. Pleasure to be here.
2: Now, thank you. I know you're on baby duty as well, but you've managed to <laughs> sneak away to give us, give us your time, which we appreciate. How's it going?
10: Yeah, it's going well, yeah. Uh, he is asleep at present, and that's always a hopeful thought. Um, but no, is going well at the moment. He's a little legend.
2: Uh, awesome. Uh, you'll love that. So you, you, the squad's released. It may have been, I reckon it was Wednesday that it came out. You're looking through it. Take us through your initial reaction as you're scanning the players will go to South Africa next month.
10: Uh, two main things to start with. Uh, one was I thought Jai Richardson would be there. Lay down Mazzara, I thought, to get into that squad with how well he's been bowling, how well he's come back from injury. Since that point, though, he's come out and said he has no issues with it. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised he doesn't have an Mm. issue with it, but Mm. uh, maybe more about his health uh, and the recovery from a shoulder injury, having only bowled four overs a game uh, through all this phase of the Big Bash where he has been bowling well, but he's never had to bowl back-to-back days, huge spells, under fatigue and testing out that shoulder. So um, I think maybe the injury course there was the big one. And then the other one was the exclusion of Matty Wade. Uh, I feel for him. He was a bit of a a fix Fix-It for us this summer and um, put his hand up to do some tough jobs. Maybe didn't get the best out of himself and got out a few ways where it exposes yourself to being criticised, uh, particularly mm. trying to attack Ashwin at times. But... Uh, look, I thought, yeah, those are the two standouts for me in terms of uh, something that could have happened in Jai in Richardson and something that probably I didn't foresee coming in Matty Wade.
2: Uh, so, uh, And I agree with those two. Your observations there. What about Alex Carey going as, well, he's going as the backup keeper clearly because they've, they've already committed to Tim Payne and they've said that he's the guy leading us forward. So he'll be there for the three tests. So Is there a possibility that Kerry could play as a standalone batsman similar to what that man Matthew Wade has done, or is he purely there in case of injury?
10: Yeah, I think he could, absolutely. And Australia have shown in recent times, England have been doing it for a long time now. If you're in the best six batters at the time, I mean, we're looking for a number five at present that hasn't Mm. really worked out for us. And even Cameron Green is very new to the number six role. Uh, So I think Alex Carey is definitely in the forefront of the selector's minds to play test cricket. Um, And certainly in the long run, I think with an eye to post-ashes, maybe even the ashes, depending on how things go, uh, that he is the man to maybe take those gloves from Tim Payne. And I think he would absolutely be in the mix for captaincy discussions as well. It would be rare in this day and age, particularly in Australian cricket, to debut as a skipper of a test team. But Mm. I think he's the type of character that's... Um, certainly, my experience, one of the great blokes and has the trust of all of his teammates. uh, And he'd really fit in well to the leadership role in the test team as well.
2: His glove work compared to Tim Payne's, I mean, it's it's tough because we haven't seen Kerry with that pressure um, on a fifth-day wicket that's turning and bouncing and staying low. We haven't seen him in that scenario. But how do they compare behind the stumps?
10: Yeah, it's a great question. Look, I think... In the last four or five seasons, Alex Carey for South Australia has been up there in the dismissals and takes some hangers off the quicks. Now I can mm. vividly remember seeing, you know, Dan Worrell, uh, Wes Agar, Chad Sayers, and the like nicking guys off and Alex Carey flying across in front of second slip. But you're absolutely right in the sense that, um, you know, under fatigue, five days, maybe subcontinental conditions type stuff. Uh, wearing wickets at the SCG where you're up close to guys bowling 145 k's an hour. Um, I think Tim Payne, he didn't have his best uh, series with the gloves, make no mistake about that, but he has been and is our best gloveman in the country by a fair way, in my opinion. So I think he is maybe the next cab off the rank in that regard, but uh, Tim Payne's still at the peak of his powers with the gloves.
2: Trent Copeland joining us, uh, doing a great job for Channel 7, of course. Uh, great record as an Aussie quick as well. Um, some other things I, I want to chat to you about. So I see some players under pressure and some big names. Like it, it's what happens. that The pressure comes with the scrutiny that is that of playing for your country. And there's some big names, as I said, that need a big series. Nathan Lyon, Mitch Stark, probably two of those. Is that fair?
10: Uh, I think it's fair given the lofty standards that we set and, and that they set for each other. Um their career records dictate. Uh, I totally agree. And it's, you know, in a footy sense, it'd be like, you know, Pat Dangerfield going mm. seven games in a row without getting 10 possessions. You know, mm. it, it would it would be normal for some, but for the guys at the peak of their powers, it's just not up to their standards. So, yeah, I agree. Um, Mitchell Stark's gone in for scans this week on his knees um, to potentially see if he's able to play for the Sixers um, Maybe not this weekend, but in the finals race for them. Uh, and then obviously that Test Series on whether he's going to be good to go for that. But he's got 250 wickets, at a ridiculous strike rate in Test Cricket. Nathan Lyon, his record speaks for itself as well. Uh, look, I don't think they're under pressure for their spot in the team, but mm. I think they're under pressure internally to deliver results on day five in particular. Uh, and I think that goes for the whole bowling unit. And largely, what came out of these test matches that got overlooked, in my opinion, was the lack of run scoring, was what delivered these day five troubles for Australia. So, yes, the bowlers didn't close out the job, but the runs weren't on the board to be able to dictate.
2: And before we let you go, Trent, I I noticed Marcus Harris has been included in the squad. Do you foresee a change in the batting position of Will Pukowski? Will, Will he be shuffled down the order, do you think?
10: No, I don't. I actually think... Uh he will be the backup opener. Pekovsky will open given fitness is okay with that shoulder. Mm. um I think that's purely there as a you know spare top three batter. Um, what I actually think will happen is we see potentially Moses Enriquez come into the side in number five, uh maybe even Travis head back into that lineup. um He was dropped uh and then maybe. Know, should have been given an opportunity in that last test, in my opinion. It, had I had the chance, it, it would have been you know, potentially way at to the top of the order with Trav Head, who's an established player, averaging 40 at test level, coming in at number five for a decider, rather than having to have the specialist opener um, in Marcus Harris. So that's just my thoughts. I think Moses Enriquez has been dominant at shield level for a long time. A lot of people see him as only an all-rounder, given that he does bowl, but he's been one of the best batters in the country for a long time so I think he's well suited to South African conditions Uh takes the game on and throws the counter-attack back at the bowling groups where against that South African quality bowling lineup we're going to need guys that do that so that's just a few of my thoughts on that middle order spot
2: and we appreciate it mate it's going to be an enthralling series one we can't wait for let's get back to dad duties but uh, we appreciate your insights this morning
10: <laughs> cheers thanks mate uh,
2: he's a ripper um, and really did enjoy his insights on Channel 7 and makes sense of... So Hawks fans, I want your reaction to the news that uh, Ben McAvoy is going to skipper the Hawks. He's going to be 32 in July and his name bolted into calculations probably in the, the last week or so. His, his name certainly externally, I'm sure he's highly regarded internally, clearly had been spoken about, but uh, it was a shocking one for me. We'll take your calls on that shortly. Just some other... Uh, and John and Brent, on the line, and I urge Hawks fans to share your thoughts. But just some other news, and it's not good news. Uh, Tom Brown from Channel 7 reporting that he believes Jaron Geary uh, from the Saints to have broken his leg in an intra-club game this morning. So Tom just tweeted one minute ago, unfortunately, I can report there are some fears Jaron Geary has broken his leg in the Saints intra-club this morning. He's having it assessed. Um, so, yeah, that's that's not... Good news at all for Jaron, who's been through a really tough time with his body in recent years. Inspirational player and leader. John is in Taylor's Lakes. Ben McAvoy is the 37th captain of the Hawks. It's just been announced from the club. What's your thoughts, John? Kane Corns, how are you, mate? Very well.
7: Normally, you and I think alike. I'm surprised that you were shocked because looking at the Hawks list, he would have been number one on my choice. Gillian simply... Really? the type of inspirational person that he is both on the football field and no doubt I'm not a Hawthorne supporter but no doubt off the field as well as on the field and um, I just think he leads by example he gives 150% I'm a Richmond supporter and a guy that I high hold very high at our club you yep. there mate? A guy that I hold in very high esteem at Richmond and he's a big reason why we've won three premierships is Toby Kurvis, mate. He just gives, he inspires all the players on the field. And I think uh, for the next two or three years or however long he's got, I think he's a great selection for the Auckland Foot
2: Club. Johnny gives it a big tick of approval. Um, reckons that he would do a great job, I... My question would be, how did, how did Ben Stratton go? How do, you, how do you judge Ben Stratton's performance as captain of the Hawks? He was everything you just explained. Um, Johnny was courageous. He was hard. He was highly regarded. But was he a great captain? I think they had um, better, more solid uh, candidates than Ben McAvoy, who, you know, what a career he's had. But I, I question whether he's even in the best 22. And I don't think you can have that with a captain. But I'm interested in your thoughts. Brent will give us his Ben McAvoy is the captain. What's your thoughts?
5: Yeah, I reckon you've been a bit harsh on Big Boy because I reckon he's yep. in our best twenty-two. Um, the reason why he's probably been down the last season and a half is he's been playing out of position. Uh, he's a ruckman that should rest forward, not a backman. Um, and like the previous caller, I think he um, he does lead by example, um, and I just don't think we have a genuine leader. Outside of
2: him, that could have filled the role as captain at the moment, either. Uh, so your second point, I reckon, is is fair. There, there wasn't someone jumping off the page, was there? There wasn't, there wasn't Bont and Pelly. There wasn't Cripps, you know, j- jumping out. you saying, well, we're ready to go. So Easton Wood steps down. Bont, right? You got it. Uh, same with with Cripps at Carlton. Um, I guess not dissimilar to. Tom Jonas at Port Adelaide, Ben McAvoy, albeit Tom's a lot younger. He's probably six or seven years younger. So, yeah, well, maybe I'm being harsh. Do you think, Brent, if I've still got you there, do you think the experiment, if we call it that, of him playing back is now gone? I mean, if he's going to captain this club, it probably has to be from the ruck, don't you think? Yeah, I definitely think that.
5: He's definitely our best ruckman in front of six. Um, and, but our problem over the last few years is we haven't had a really solid key back Like Sicily is more of a floater and then distributes the footy whereas we haven't had that locked down defender where I think they tried to get McAvoy to play that role
2: Good on you, Brent. And it's a a pretty good opportunity for the likes of, well, I think Sicily, that man you speak of. The the opportunity's probably passed Gunston by. I reckon the captain of the club now, at his age and if he's going to have issues with his body, but the opportunity for O'Meara, uh, for Mitchell, for Sicily to now put your hand up and say that the the opportunity's probably passed Shields by as well say, oh, this is mine. Because the speculation over the next Hawthorne captain's going to be here because of Ben McAvoy's age and, and how long he's going to do the job. Hawks fans, your thoughts on Ben McAvoy, the new captain? Jack is on the line. What do you think, Jack? Uh, good morning, Volcano. Welcome back, mate. How are you going? I'm um, very well, mate. Good to hear from you.
6: Yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, look, not a Hawks supporter, just a, more so a lover of footy. Uh, but Ben McEvoy, uh, he, he's a great appointment. I think, uh, yeah, I think he's always been a great leader, even back in his Saints days. And I'm a bit of a sucker for romance and footy. And uh, Sean Burgoyne last season would have been nice if he got a little last run. Last run as uh, as captain of the Hawks, but um, you know he's, he's a genuine leader of the competition uh, in in multiple facets. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, Ben McAvoy, I think I think um, yeah, he's a great appointment, mate. And um, just quickly, one of my good mates, Plonka from Diamond Creek. Happy birthday, mate, and thanks, Kane. All the best, mate.
2: Happy birthday, Plonker, and thank you for your contribution to our show, Jack. It's what it's all about. So, tick, 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 John, Brent, Jack, a lot of people in the text line saying Ben McAvoy's a great choice. Look, I'm not saying he hasn't had a great career, and he's been an absolute warrior. And one of those teammates who you stand taller walking down the tunnel with before the first bounce of the game. You go, geez, I'm glad I'm playing next to him. But I don't think he's the right choice as captain. Now, I'm happy to be proven wrong. On that one um, uh, at his age and and his ability to be in the best 22 I want my captain to be you walk into that selection room he's the first magnet that you put on the board every week and there are no questions about his place in the side I'm just not sure you've had that with Ben in recent times we'll sneak one more in and we'll take Simon who wants to speak about the hot topic of the morning his name is Ben McAvoy he's captaining the Hawks Simon what was your initial reaction
6: today. Um, and yeah, no, look, I was a bit surprised, but look, my, I don't bury for Hawthorne either like the other bloke, but my daughter does, and we go to open training, and he's one of the best blokes you'd ever want to meet. He takes his time, he talks to everyone, and look, he might be no Wayne Carey, but who wants a Wayne Carey?
2: So, he, he's a Richie Vandenberg, well. isn't he? And there's a few te- people who saying, well, he's, he's exactly like Richie Vandenberg and the impact that he had on the Hawks, which was significant during a difficult time for the club, and then you get you get the next... Young up-and-coming leader to take over. So, I, look, I understand the thought process. Uh, leading teams is a model that is all about player empowerment. So, the players have spoken here. This is, this is a win for the players. They've, they've said, "We vote for you. We want this guy as our captain." And the club has listened. The balls listened. The coach has clearly listened. And the player power vote gets, gets the win. Um, it is I had the call on Sean Berger. on it. It is. a a disappointment that Sean Burgoyne never captained his club. And I think if you go back to his Port Adelaide days, one of the biggest mistakes they have made was not appointing Sean Burgoyne as captain. And is he the best player? This is just a random thought that crossed my mind as things happen from time to time. Is he the best player, Sean Burgoyne, to never win a best and fairest? So I'll put that question to you. 433981116 temper text. Is Sean Burgoyne the best AFL player to never win a best and fairest. Just one-time All-Australian as well for Sean Burgoyne. Remarkable with the career that he's had. 18 minutes to 11 o'clock on this wet Melbourne day. Plenty more coming up, including the latest out of the NFL. Um, we'll do that next.
1: The AFL app or and the SEN app.
2: On SEN, the captain's run with cane corns. 13 minutes to 11 o'clock if you're on SENSA. It's just a tick after quarter past 10. Big news out of the AFL. We've spoken about the Ben McEvoy being named as skipper. I think Dwayne's going to have him on as well uh, with Dwayne's well. So here from the new Hawthorne skipper um, on this station, not too far away with, with, with Dwayne. And the other news out of St. Kilda for Saints fans, if you're just joining us, Channel 7's Tom Brown reporting that Jaron Geary has suffered a broken leg in an internal game this morning. So devastating news. And we'll wait for more information as it comes to hand from the club. If there's any updates, we'll bring it to you right here, live on your home of sport. Uh, We love the NFL. I know there's uh, a lot of you out there that's uh, enjoying your American sport and the coverage of it right here on uh, SEN. So we thought we'd um, get one of the gurus on. Uh, Peter Bukowski is on the line. He's from SB Nation. He does the Packer Report and he's dime on up rocks. He's ready to go, and he joins us. Peter, thanks so much for your time. It's good to be here,
9: guys.
2: Hey, I want to get your thoughts on Super Bowl 55 very, very shortly. What a matchup, and probably the matchup the NFL would have dreamt of at the start of the season. But i got to start with your Packers, because they ended their season in disappointing fashion against that team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A lot of questions around the coaching decisions during that game and the fallout has been question marks over the future of the league MVP, the quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Peter, what's the latest?
9: Well, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers went on to a, a local radio show here, I guess not a local, but local to the state radio show, um, earlier this week and, and tried to put to bed, you know, any any questions about his future. He said he expects to be back in Green Bay. Um, the, the The Packers president said that the Packers would be idiots to not bring back Aaron Rodgers. So I think for now at least we can, we can put this to rest. Um, but it does raise questions about, you know, how many more times Aaron Rodgers is going to be in this position, right? Because mm. this was a team that was favored against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You could, you could see it when, when this team um, lost in, in their post-game comments and, and the comments that we've seen since then. This Packers team really thought they were the best team. And and that's not always the case. I mean, I know that, you know, every athlete and every coach will say, yeah, we, you know, we prepared to win and we expected to win. But you you go back to the NFC Championship game last year, they were not the better team with the 49ers. They had been blown out in the regular season, and they got blown out in the game. I think in their heart of hearts, they knew the 49ers were just better. The Packers were better than than Tampa Bay. Mm. They just didn't play better in the most important game of the season. And unfortunately, sometimes that happens. I think that puts them in a really awkward position then moving forward because it's sort of like, well, this team was good enough. So how do we get better? How do we how do we elevate to get to the Super Bowl? Because we thought this team was good enough. Hmm. What
2: sort of character is he to cover, uh, Aaron Rodgers? I mean, global star, I think he earns $37 million per season, 37 years of age, done it for a long time. Um, but he... He's an interesting sort of character. There's a bit of, a bit of arrogance about him, and um, he doesn't say a lot of words, but he has a method um, behind his words that always seems to have a different meaning. Is that a fair description of his character?
9: <laughs> you know, I think it is. He, he has a very dry wit. Um, he can be very sarcastic. Um, he's very playful. And the way I describe him is he sort of has this um, playful standoffishness about him. Um, he knows what what the perception is of him. He knows that people think that he has this arrogance, mm. and I, I think he he plays into it at times. Um, you know, just whether it's for his own personal laughs or just to sort of troll the media. Um, he I, you know he he has good relationships with some people in the media. He he does have genuinely stand office relationships with some other people, but you know locally, I I think he's treated. Um, you know, like the celebrity that he is, um, I wouldn't say that he's treated with kid gloves by any means. I don't think he's, you know, he's someone that no one is afraid to say anything critical about. Um, but they do understand that he, he reads everything no matter what he says, you know, he'll, he's the kind of athlete that says, Oh, I don't pay attention. But then the next day somehow knows everything that was said about him. So, you know, it's not that you have to be careful. You just have to understand that, um, you know that's the that's the reality. That's the kind of player because every every slight to him, whether real or perceived, he uses to fuel him, and I think that's part of what makes him such a great player.
2: Take us through the ins and outs of I guess player contracts. So he's contracted to the end of twenty twenty three. It doesn't seem to mean a lot though because Deshaun Watson from the Texans has just requested a trade. That news broke this morning. He has ties to that club if they want to until the end of twenty twenty eight. So. How do these players get out of their contracts if they choose to?
9: So the the thing about a contract is um, you sign it, and theoretically it ties you to that team. But if you are willing to to like Deshaun Watson, and and according to reports, um, if if the if the Houston Texans do not trade Deshaun Watson, it sounds like he'd be willing to just sit and just say, "I'm not playing. Find me. Right. Don't pay me. Whatever." I'm just not going to play. There is always that nuclear option that an athlete can, can move forward with. And and Matthew Stafford in, in Detroit, you know, he didn't have to say, you know, publicly or even privately, Hey, I want out. He went to uh, management and said, let's agree to to disagree basically. And let's find a home for me. I'm I'm not here for a rebuild. You guys want to rebuild. Um, You know, I've been, I've been this stalwart for the franchise for ten plus years, so let's let's find a way to move on. I don't know that Green Bay would be in the same position as Detroit to say, "Yeah, that sounds great." Um, to your point, the Packers signed him to the biggest contract in NFL history just two years ago. We're not that far removed, and he was the league MVP last year. So why would he want to leave? Why would the Packers want him to leave, regardless of the drafting of Jordan Love, who is you know. I don't know that he is seen as the heir apparent necessarily, but could be viewed that way internally. And and the Packers really do like his talent. Rodgers would really have to, um, I, I think, almost sabotage his relationship publicly with the team. Um, and I don't think he's willing to do that. He was drafted in 2005, and Aaron Rodgers saw Brett Favre in Green Bay. That relationship sour. The Packers traded him, and it became contentious. And Favre was not welcome in Green Bay for years after that. Um, and, it, and it wasn't until Aaron Rodgers became Aaron superstar Rodgers that people started to, to you know, come around on Favre. And Rodgers has said explicitly, mm-hmm. I don't want that. He has said, I want to spend my career in Green Bay. I want to finish my career in Green Bay. And so unless and until things become irreconcilable, I just don't see Rodgers going that route. I think he has said since the Jordan Love draft that the Packers are in control of his future.
2: I think we just are hard up against the news there. Peter Bukowski, the latest on the NFL. Fascinating chat, could have spoken for hours. Unfortunately, we are hard up against the news. We'll count down to the Super Bowl this time next week. Miss your favourite show? Want to catch up on an interview? Download and listen to every SEN podcast
9: when you want it or on the SEN app.
2: It's three minutes past 11 o'clock on this wet Melbourne day. If you're listening to us on SENSA in Adelaide, it's just before 25 minutes to 11 o'clock. Big first couple of hours, it must be said. Thanks for all your calls and your contribution to the show. I guess the big footy news out of it, as you just heard in the news, is that uh, Ben McAvoy is the captain of the Hawks. And stick around, after 12 o'clock, Dwayne Russell will have that man, Ben McAvoy, on Dwayne's World. I'm not sure about it. I'm not convinced, but certainly a lot of our callers and a lot of texts this morning are happy um, with the decision to do that. Um, Not as good news out of St Kilda with Tom Brown reporting that Jaron Geary has snapped his leg or broken his leg, fractured it in an internal trial. We'll wait for more information as the club confirms that one, if they do. Um, Plenty still to come, though. We've got the quiz, mean tweets coming up, a new segment in which we call Over and Under... Uh, and also um, a big couple of guests, Slayton Hewitt. And our next guest is the CEO of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, Tommy Greer. Is his name? Tommy, thanks for your time again.
4: Yeah, thanks, Kane. Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, looking at the ladder, it's been a it's there's been some good and some bad. Very early days, just the three games <laughs> for your boys so far. One win, couple of losses. You've been all over the country. You've been Adelaide. Um, how have you seen the start?
4: Yeah, look, it's been a, a little bit of a bumpy ride for us to start. I think um, we're just really um, starting to find just a little bit of rhythm. You know, as you said, our, our guys are sort of uh, they have been travelling a fair bit. They're relocated on uh, New Year's Eve down to Tasmania and uh, actually haven't um, managed to get back to Victoria since that um, flight out of Melbourne. So they've been travelling all around the country for the last little while, but... Um, starting to find a little bit of rhythm now and uh hoping we can uh we can get a result tonight
2: big game tonight uh, against uh, the perth wildcats um I've, I've been to a couple of games i saw um, your team beat my sixes uh, in adelaide but i've also seen the sixes <laughs> perform pretty well uh, i'm i'm loving it there there seems to be a real thirst for it like the crowds in Adelaide, particularly because that's where a lot of the basketball has been played, you know, nearly 7,000 uh, per night. Yep. It's huge. Um, uh, your fans must be itching to see you play.
4: Oh, absolutely. So we've uh, we've just gone with some... We, we just were able to announce our first uh, home game on the 7th, um, which is back in the heartland of basketball in the southeast of Melbourne, uh, the mm. State Basketball Centre. And um, we went with Member of Redemptions uh, yesterday and they have just, uh, just flooded the stadium. So... Yeah, ticketing will be released later today, and I think we'll uh, we'll go pretty close to a to a sellout in the uh, in the coming days.
2: What are the restrictions on the on the
4: crowds at your home games? Yeah, so we've got seventy five percent capacity at the State Basketball Centre, which is a great result. Um, being um, you know the first game back in Melbourne uh, on the seventh of, of Feb, um, so we're really excited. You know, just to get the boys back here to Melbourne and uh, and get basketball um, play, uh, being played back here in Victoria.
2: Mm. And uh, for those wanting to jump on and grab a membership and see the boys play, what's the best way to do it?
4: The best way to do it is always just to head to the website, so semphoenix.com.au, and um, obviously uh, head to Ticketek for uh, for G.R. Sales later today for for that game on the 7th.
2: What's been the feedback from your players about how taxing it's been? I know know, sometimes short turnaround, sometimes long, the travel you mentioned, how are they holding up? (laughs)
4: Yeah, look, uh, they're doing a really good job, actually, getting a lot of sort of positive feedback um, out of the team. We're, we're a reasonably young squad. We don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, o- older players on the list this year with, with families and such. So um, the boys are just really enjoying the time away together. You know, they're, they're sort of travelling around the country and, and uh, staying in hotels and, you know, getting fed every day and, and the whole thing. So I'm um, getting a lot of sort of positive stuff out of the guys and hoping that, um, you know, that can... Um, be treated as a bit of a, I guess, like a intensive training camp for the guys um, before they get back here to Melbourne and hopefully knock out some uh, some games here at home. You sat back and you've probably
2: watched a, a lot of it as we all have on on TV. Um, who's impressed you and who's the team to beat this year?
4: I oh, mean Illawarra definitely impressed. I think they've impressed uh, everyone at the moment with that four-zero start. Just love the way they're sort of going about it at the moment, playing really. Um, intense, um, high-intensity basketball. So, look, they've definitely impressed early, um, and uh, I mean, obviously Melbourne United with a with a strong start as well. But um, you know, I, I'm starting to see a lot of sort of positive signs out of our guys as well. You know, you mentioned that second game over in Adelaide, and just starting to feel like things are beginning to click um, for our guys. And and uh, hoping tonight is a is a really good example of that. And yeah, just interested in your thoughts. I
2: was just having a chat to my son uh, last night about Josh Giddey, who's sort of taken the thirty sixes, mm. and you know I heard Brian Gorgian's comments yesterday on SEN that he's the most unique and and possibly best prospect he's seen in Australian basketball for some time. Do, do you think mm. um, the NBA hopefuls, the NBL, is now a legitimate avenue to get drafted, as we've seen probably with the Mellow Ball and some others?
4: I don't think. I mean, without question, it is one of the best positions you can put yourself in um, to get drafted in the NBA. Like that, that's without question at this point. Um, the amount of uh, NBA scouts that we have calling the club and you know speaking to on a weekly basis. And last year we had all thirty teams sending out scouts to uh, to, to visit NBL games and spend time with clubs last year. So. There is, a, there is a real microscope um, on the NBL at the moment. And I think that for players, especially local talent like uh, like King and, and, and Giddy um, this year, um, there's a real opportunity for them to sort of put their best foot forward. And, and you know, Giddy's obviously uh, doing that at the moment. So how much of your role is, is
2: looking internationally and, and trying to identify perhaps some athletes that may skip college, which has been the usual um, format to get drafted, and, and having a look at who you can attract?
4: Yeah, look, it's something we definitely look into each year since this, is, uh, this opportunity was presented by the, by the NBL. And, um, you know, it's an opportunity we took up uh, in our first year. COVID obviously added a whole another layer um, to that. And uh, with, with a lot of the NCAA seasons and, uh, and leagues around the world, Being a little unsure of how things are going to play out, that made it a little bit more difficult this year, which is why I think you've seen a bit more of the the homegrown talent fall into those um, positions this season. But it's something that uh, we look at really seriously each year. And and, uh, as as the COVID situation eases up, I think that um, we'll be back in that market again pretty strongly next year.
2: It's pretty exciting, mate. Well, good luck. Thanks for your time. Good luck against the Wildcats. I know they got you five days ago, reasonably convincingly, but things can change pretty quickly in the world of basketball. Good luck tonight, mate, and we'll speak to you throughout the year.
4: Good on you, mate. Thank you.
2: Bye. Tommy Greer is the CEO of the South East Melbourne Phoenix. Now, their first home game for Melbourne basketball fanatics will be at the Heartland of State Basketball Centre February the 7th. That's a 3 p.m. tip-off, so just just note that. Limited tickets left, as you just heard, for public sale, which start at 1 p.m. today. You can head to semphoenix.com.au or Ticketek for your tickets. Tommy Greer, our guest. This morning, I was sitting back and I was thinking... Look, we do differently this year on the Captain's Run. we we got, our, we got our staples. We take a lot of your calls, which I love, and usually do that in the first hour, and, and, and phones usually go pretty well. Then we've got mean tweets. We've got the quiz that we, we do from time to time, some other things that we've tried. Kane called it. Kane cooked it. Things I've got right and things I've mucked up. We've had, we've had a look at that. So I thought we might preview something differently. Pretty simple. I want to get you involved in this. We're just going to call it over and under. Now, I'm I'm not a uh, uh, radio revolution here I'm not Howard Stern it's not something that no one's ever done before but um, a few statements and then I and we together come up whether that statement it'll be over or under now I don't think we've you know, I, I came to this late I don't think we've got a little stinger and a little fancy intro with music yet so we'll get to that and if it if it works we'll do it but what I have done is, is I've got our legendary panel operator Johnny back in the studio to help us out with this one so let's start with over or under and find out what Johnny's got
6: for us Payne cuts hard, finds the rope, and finds a very, very important 50. He's 8th in Test Match Cricket, 3rd versus India, and his 3rd in Australia, well played by the skipper.
0: Tim Payne has played 35 Test Matches for Australia. Payne will play 40 Test Career Test Matches, over or under.
2: Oh, have a listen to the guru! How about that? How's the professionalism on that? Tim Payne, you just heard, 35 test matches he's played. He's just been included into the squad to tour South Africa. That is a three-test match series. So we probably know, unless something drastic happens and he gets injured or he he's horribly out of form, that he's going to get to 38. Will he get to over 40 or under? I'm going to go the under here. I... I <laughs> I think Alex Carey's been included for a reason. So Tim Payne 40 career test matches at age 36. I don't think he's gonna get there. I'm gonna go under.
0: LeBron James has won four NBA championships. He will win six before he's done. Over or under?
2: Well, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go under. Six is the big one because Michael Jordan and the comparisons between the two, who's better? The younger generation probably say LeBron. Older generation like myself would always go with Michael Jordan. And the last dance documentary saved us all when there was no sport on this year and we made a lot of radio shows out of that series when we had nothing else to talk about. I'm going to go under. I think you'll get five. So I'm going to go with five. I think the Lakers are the best team in it this year. He's, what is he, 36, 37 years of age? Remarkable. Probably win the league MVP. Think he'll win the title this year, but I think that might be it. So under six for LeBron James. What's next?
4: Higgins. And Higgins goes inside 50 for Ben Brown, who's got it. For double figures. For number 10.
0: New Melbourne recruit Ben Brown has a career high of 64 goals in the 2019 season. He will kick 45 in 2021, over or under?
2: Good one. It's a good one. So 2017, he went 63. 18, he went 61. And 19, uh, 2019, that is, you just heard he went 64. And the, the audio you just heard, um, he kicked 10 against my Port Adelaide. Last year, he only kicked eight from his nine games. I'm going to go over 45. I think I think it is reasonable to suggest that Ben Brown can go just a touch over two goals per game. I think that is realistic. Now, traditionally, he's been pretty durable, like 22 games in a row for five straight seasons. So historically, he's been durable. I know he's had his issues with his body. But if you're asking me, Johnny, I'm going to go over for Ben Brown.
0: Erich stripped of it by Nathan Jones. Still a chance. Oh, Hard they go. Patrick Dangerfield will win one AFL Premiership, over or under?
2: Now, this one kept me up at night. Uh, That's how much I've got on in my life at the moment, thinking about whether Patrick Dangerfield will win a Premiership. We spoke about Geelong off the top. I I don't know how to assess them. It wouldn't surprise me if they go one better and win it this year, but equally it wouldn't surprise me if they bomb. I think it's his last opportunity. I think this year is his last opportunity. So I'm going to go under because... It's almost premierships are tough to win. And if he's only got one year left, as determined as he has been, I'm going to go the under, unfortunately, uh, for danger. What's the last one you got for us this morning, Johnny?
6: Well, these comments have certainly put Simon Goodwin on notice, as you said. So I understand he is by no means secure to keep his job beyond this year if they don't play finals. My mail is strong, and Goodwin is not safe
0: if they don't play finals this year. So- Essendon's transition and Rhys Shaw's personal issues aside, not one AFL coach was sacked last year. There will be two AFL head coaching changes in 2021, over or under.
2: Well, you hate speculating on people's careers, don't you? And You don't wish it upon anyone, but it's, un- it's unusual for a coach not to lose their job. Um, in any one year. So who are the coaches under pressure? You just heard from Tom Morris on Fox Footy. Simon Goodwin's certainly under pressure. I reckon there's some real heat coming on. Leon Cameron, Nathan Buckley's out of contract. We spoke to Eddie McGuire on SENSA uh, earlier last week. He said there shouldn't be any issues with Nathan Buckley. But you probably have to go on over, unfortunately, um, with that one. And now there's this ridiculous clause in coaches' contracts that regardless how long you sign for, it's a six-month, that, that's it. The so six-month payout. So clubs are just willy-nilly can sack whatever coach they want and not have to face the payout that they have faced in in other years. So unfortunately, I think there could be a bit of movement in the coaching ranks this year. What do you reckon about my answers? Over or under? Ben Brown, 45 goals. Dangerfield, a premiership. LeBron James is in there. Six titles, over or under? Um, let us know your thoughts on that one. Get involved. Love your thoughts. one 736 736 Still plenty more to come. On the show, uh, it's time now to get the latest with uh, our man, Paul Sebastiani. Bet Deluxe.
1: Serious betting for serious punters. BetDeluxe.com.au. Gamble responsibly.
2: Uh, he's an absolute guru for Bet Deluxe. Serious betting for serious punters, as we always say. Gamble responsibly. 1-800-858. Paul, welcome again. Kane, how are you, mate? I'm very well. We a big weekend of racing. Take us through it.
6: It is, yeah. Rapid racing today, it all starts at, at Flemington. Uh, we've, got, we've had good money for the horse in uh, race number one. It's called Oxley Road. Peter Moody trains. Craig Williams takes the ride. It's around $2.60 into a, a $1.85 at betdeluxe.com.au and then at Caulfield and Rose Hill tomorrow, there's group racing there. At uh, Rose Hill, the, the um, We've got the Caulfield Guineas winner resuming, Ole Kirk. It's a second elect at the moment in the market at $3.90. But there's been good money for the Godolphin Mayor in that race, Savatiano. She's three seventy into $3.10. And then tomorrow at Caulfield as well, we've got that Caulfield Guineas runner-up resuming, Acer, race five, number three. It's a $3.30 elect, but there's been good money for the top weight, Targalowa been three ninety into $3.50 at BetDeluxe.com.au. And don't forget, if you run second or third at Flemington, Caulfield and Rose Hill today and tomorrow, it's money back in your Bet Deluxe account, up to 50 bucks. okay
2: How about that? Absolutely comprehensive. Um, AFLW season kicked off last night. Uh, who do the punters like?
6: It did, yeah. My blue girls were, were very disappointing last night, mm. unfortunately. A bit of a slow start, but uh, St Kilda and the Bulldogs uh, today... Uh, St Kilda are the favourites $1.71, the Bulldogs $2.06 Outsiders, Melbourne $1.34 favourites over the Gold Coast at $3.09, Adelaide $1.23 favourites over West Coast and North Melbourne $1.32, they're also the Premiership favourites there to defeat Geelong. And Brisbane a dollar twenty-three to defeat Richmond at three eighty-nine, and Fremantle a dollar thirty to defeat the GWS Giants who are three dollars twenty-six game.
2: Good on you, mate. Speak to you next week. Bet Deluxe bet serious betting for serious. Save up to fifty
1: percent at the extended forty. 40-
2: so a bit of feedback coming through on our, on our new segment. Uh, some liked it. Some have uh, given some constructive feedback, which we will take on board. So Cam says, "Should it should have said Dangerfield will win 0.5 AFL premierships over or under?" And you are you are correct, Cam. I will take that on board. Um, we get this one: the Cats must win it this year, and I don't think they can. Buying a flag doesn't work ever. And Leon at GWS is on Razor's edge, and a poor start will see him gone ski. but I can't see another because I don't think Melbourne has the plums to chop Goodwin, says Barkin' Mad. Um, yeah, so i ask you, uh, we did the over and under uh, coaching positions this year. There wasn't really anyone that lost their job, th- thankfully, last year, other than um, we knew about the Essendon succession plan, so that was on the radar, and we, we didn't foresee uh, Reshaw's personal issues as well. So North Melbourne weren't necessarily looking for one. That just bobbed up late. Um, who's the coaches that perhaps, unfortunately, are under the gun? I think we're going to be speaking about Nathan Buckley a lot and the start of the season for Collingwood is vital. Uh, I asked Tim Payne, 40 test matches over or under. He's currently on 35. He's going to captain the South Africa Tour, three tests there, which will get him to 38. Tom says, I think he will get the Tour after South Africa and the home ashes next summer, and then he'll be finished. And a lot of people are agreeing with that. Uh, we've got one here just on Patrick Dangerfield. I agree with Patrick Dangerfield not winning a premiership. They are, uh, there's the odd Geelong curse. Whenever Channel 7 televises the grand final, eighty nine, ninety two, 92 most recently 2000, I don't quite understand that. But in essence saying Patrick Dangerfield won't win... premiership hey i wonder if we're celebrating the career of uh josh giddy not celebrating that's the wrong word whether we are appreciating the career of young gun josh giddy enough because i was fascinated by uh, brian gorgian's comments on sen i think it was yesterday Uh, let's have a listen to what he said and the extraordinary praise he gave this young 18 year old playing in the nbl
9: Like like no no young Aussie I I've seen different than Andrew Gaze different than Shane Heal Mark Bradkey I I mean this is a a special special kid comes from a special family special player and it's he his his the thing he does best is he get makes the players around him better and to me that's greatness he's a great passer got great size. Um, is is a good athlete, definitely in my mind a first round draft pick, really special player.
7: Wow, wow, that is sensational, Brian. Really
9: worth worth watching.
2: Well, and I, so I wonder if he's one of those athletes that you're fortunate enough to see, and you know, in in ten years when he's been in the NBA thing, oh, I remember watching him. When he's a youngster coming through playing in Australia, are we, are we celebrating the, the, the career enough and appreciating what we've got right on our doorstep? And the, the other question is, who's a an athlete that you saw when they were really young that you thought, gee, there's something something extraordinary about this um, young man. They're going to go on to do unbelievable things. 4 98 11 16 Is the temper text um, temper a mattress like no other? We're still going to speak to Leighton Hewitt. Um, we caught up with him a little bit earlier on. He's going to preview the day at the drive, which is happening in Adelaide today. All the biggest guns, um, including Novak and Rafa and Ash Barty and um, Simona Halep and Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, Tony Jones's mate. So that'll be that'll be a big one. And then there's some a whole host of other tournaments happening. There's the ATP Cup, which we'll speak to Leighton about. Nick Kyrgios is playing in the what's it called? The River Murray Open, I think. Which is um, well, it's got open named after it, but River Murray Open. I. I think there's a lot riding on Nick Curios, and we'll get to Nick in a moment because there was a strong reaction to my editorial on Nick um, last week on this very show. There was some, some feedback coming through, which we'll do, but he's under the pump. If you're looking at athletes that are under pressure, I mean, I mean, pretty easy to sit back and not play for 12 months. I understand why that has been the case, clearly, but to be outspoken on Twitter and to have that stand that he's taken and he's spoken about his morals when he when he was brought up and what he stands for. Well, now now's the test. You're back on court. You're in a high-pressure environment. Have you changed? Have you really changed Nick? So I think he's an athlete that's under pressure as we look ahead to the Australian Open very, very shortly. So coming up, that man, Leighton Hewitt, our greatest ever, I reckon, And a massive edition of the quiz. BBL finals get underway tonight between the Strikers and the Brisbane Heat. So a BBL theme for the quiz. And I'll mention mean tweets. All that coming up in a big last half hour. Now it's time for Chad's
9: Brothers Quiz
2: it is 1300 736 736 i forgot to put the call out before the little break there so you can line up and do that now as you know format last person standing will win the round of for two at club mandalay bbl finals get underway tonight um i think the the new finals format will be much better than the old one um, certainly where you weren't rewarded for finishing on top of the table unbelievably Um, My Adelaide strikers just snuck in, still not sure how that happened. They need to send a a bottle of red wine uh, to the Melbourne Renegades for that. So they're taking on the Brisbane Heat, and then the rest of the finals will play out after that. So how's your BBL knowledge? Let's find out. We'll go to Kyle, uh, who's on the line, He's going to kick us off. G'day, Kyle. G'day, Kane, how are you? I'm well, mate. Thanks for your call, and thanks for joining in in the quiz. Let's start with this. Who was the leading run scorer this season?
1: That would be Hales
2: was Hales nice start from you okay so the flip side is that who took the most wickets Richardson, Richardson. yeah well played by you uh, three more questions and you win uh, who has hit the most sixes in an innings in Big Bass history
7: would it
2: be Hales as well close But I can't give you that one. Kyle got us underway with the first two questions, correct? We're up to question number three. So let's go to Anthony. G'day to you, Anthony. Hello, Kane. Very well, mate. Um, So it's a BBL theme quiz this morning. Who has hit the most sixes in one innings in Big Bash history?
7: I'm going to go Chris Lynn.
2: Mm, That was a good guess. I'd say. Couldn't couldn't have folded that guess. It was a really good one. Um, But it's incorrect, unfortunately, for you. James is in Glenroy. G'day, James. All
3: right, Kato. I'll go with Chris Gale.
2: Yep, you would be correct. Chris Gale hit 11 sixes in an innings. Um, And I read this week that he's got the fastest century in Big Bash history. That one was in, not Big Bash, in T20 history. That was in the the Premier League. Two questions for the win, James. Uh, Who finished on top of the table this season? Nice, easy one for you. Sydney Sixers. Sydney Sixers did. Let's see if they can go all the way. And for the win, who did Shane Warne famously clash with in Big Bash 1? Kevin Peterson? No. It wasn't KP. It was a good guess. Uh John is in Taylor's Lakes. Um you're gonna swoop here through, mate, and get the win with not a lot of work. Hi, John.
7: Yeah, I'm not going to Kane. I I can see the confrontation with them both and yep. I can't think of his name.
2: Um Have a guess?
7: Uh let's say um no, I can't even think
2: of a name, no. sorry. Alright, well thanks for your call, mate. Have a crack next week. Derek's on the road. Hi Derek. Hey, mate, how are you? Shane Warne had a famous clash with one player in BBL 1. Who was it?
6: Marlon Samuels. Let's have a listen. Come on, Marlon. One
9: and over from Shane Warne.
6: Grab some people. Grab some more people.
2: Ah. Uh, Warney and the microphone. Maybe hasn't been that kind to him over the journey. albeit uh, it could answer it's got him to where he is today. Uh, what well on to you, Derek? You are the winner of Chad's Brothers Quiz, the second edition um, of this year. Uh, we got we got time for mean tweets. I think I think we do have some time for you. mean tweets. I haven't even looked at these yet because I didn't want my feelings to be hurt but uh, I said last week off the top of the show on the back of Nick Kyrgios calling Djokovic a tool I said well I'm not sure Nick is the person to be calling other people tools with his history of behavior and performance and everything else that comes with Nick. Yes I think he's improved his his image which we've all noted but uh, we'll wait and see and I, I said that don't get sucked in because I'm sure that Nick will let you down again. A lot of people didn't like it. Uh, Jay says, and so begins the annual hounding of Curios by Australian media. No surprise to see Kane leading the charge. The same Kane that let his team down halfway through the season to be a fireman, which he also quit to jump into the media. Give it a rest, champ, and let's just enjoy his tennis. Uh, first champ of the year. So thank you to you, uh, Jace. Uh, Looch says. Kane is jealous. He has never been good enough to let anyone down. We all know to expect nothing. Thank you, Looch. Um, Looch is gone again. He's he's had two cracks. Uh, L M A O, which I think the cool kids, I think it means laughing my you know what off. That's what the cool kids say. L M A O. Kane talking about letting people down. Kane lets people down as soon as he begins to think. Benny Coff says, what really let you down is Cain Corns' media pieces. Sean says, it's a new year but some things never change. Cain Corns is still the biggest tool amongst the media personalities and there's good competition out there. Thank you to you, Shawnee. Scott says, I keep getting sucked in by Cain Corns, thinking he's turned the corner as a journalist. Uh, Paul says, the same Cain Corns who bags the Tigers every year. If he was a car battery... He'd have two negative points. At least there's some, some humour behind that, and at least it's clever. Cam says, anything Kane Corn says is immediately invalid. He loves the spotlight, this man. Uh, and G says, what jealous little man Kane is. Fixed, I fixed the headline. Angry little tool calls out tool for calling a well-known tool a tool. Sheesh, there's enough here to fill up two sheds that's mean tweets we won't do it every week but um we thought we'd get it underway um today big show still to come i just saw that uh premier stephen marshall here in adelaide has just held a media conference and the players are out of quarantine which is good because they're going to play a tennis match today so djokovic will be up i think he's first up uh, one o'clock this afternoon now um you can catch all of that action on Channel 9 as well. So, star started the lineup. We'll wait and see what sort of form they're in after the tough, challenging period it's been for the players. But that day at the drive is up today, and to tell us all about it will be our next guest on the captain's run, none other than one of our best ever. Leighton Hewitt is set to join us next. Stick around for that. Perhaps the biggest sporting event, well, one of, we've ever seen will be a day at the drive featuring the biggest names of world tennis, tennis Djokovic, Raf is there, Um, Serena Williams, Venus, Naomi Osaka, Ash Barty, and Simona Halep all in action. So we thought, let's go straight to the top. Who who better to get on to take us through this Adelaide tournament, his memories of it, and looking ahead to next month's Australian Open than probably our best ever. Leighton Hewitt is his name. Leighton, thanks for joining us again. (laughs) Hey, no worries. Thanks, mate. (laughs) Have we seen a bigger thing happen for tennis in Adelaide? Leighton, you you heard the names, (laughs) you know them. It's, It's the biggest thing we've ever seen.
8: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Everyone was saying it was a bad year. There were going to be no tournaments in any other state apart from Victoria. And uh, here it is. South Australia's been able to pull off something huge for tennis. Uh, obviously at the redevelopment there at Memorial Drive on Centre Court. And, and to get those calibre of players playing against each other, um, when they're really only here for a week before the Australian Open as well for any kind of tournaments it's, it's going to be huge. And I think it's just great for the, the youngsters in South Australia to get an up-close, uh, you know, up-close and personal with some of the best players in, in sport worldwide.
2: Oh, l- looking forward to seeing you play. Of course, it was a, a different tournament, but one year won back in 1998. It, it really did kick-start your career. You beat Andre, of course, in Adelaide, and it got things going for you. Could it do similar for, for Yannick Sinner, the, the the player you speak of?
1: Oh, well, I think for him, it's now going to be another breakout year. He, he was able to... Um, beat the likes of David Goffin in straight sets in the first round of the French Open last year. Now it's his time to try and step up into that top 20 in the world and really establish himself as a big seed in the Grand Slams. But he's certainly going to be a real dangerous floater uh, in a couple of weeks' time at the Australian Open. I don't think any of the top guys will want to see him across the net um, against him. He's the kind of guy that's got nothing to lose. He's got a great attitude, very positive on the court, moves extremely well as well. So um, it's going to be interesting, this Australian Open. As I said, a lot of guys are going to come in, you know, with limited preparation. And those first few rounds where you normally see the top guys get through really comfortably, you know, they're, they're probably going to be trying to work their way into the tournament a little bit more.
2: Um, how would you have gone? I mean, you're older and wiser now, but put yourself back in your Grand Slam days where, you know, we're all a bit nutty aren't we as, as sports people we have our own <laughs> intricacies and superstitions you would have been no different had you been forced to do 14 days quarantine ahead of a, a grand yeah. slam tournament how would you have coped
1: no i would have been really tough uh, i'm not gonna lie to try and prepare for a best of five set matches and, and possibly seven of them back to back is not an easy thing in the men's game and and you know, I understand the frustrations these guys are going through at the moment, and it's something that I certainly wouldn't have wanted to to endure uh, during my career, and I was fortunate I didn't have to go through anything like that. But mm. to try and come out physically at your peak performance um, is nearly impossible, pretty much, with the limited preparation they've had. Being able to get no matches, the, the one saving grace is, you know, everyone's kind of in the same boat. I know some people have been able to get out a little bit more often, there's... Some, obviously, have really hard lockdowns in Melbourne as well, which is unfortunate for those planes that sort of got caught up with someone that tested positive on them when they came over. Those guys are really going to struggle. I think you know just to be able to get their fitness up after 14 days. You know, a lot of these people, you've got to remember, they've been playing tennis since they're six or seven years old. They haven't had 14 days off ever since mm-hmm. then. So, you know, it's a massive change, and to trying to prepare for you know the hot days that we get here in Melbourne as well uh, during the Australian Open to be able to be physically ready for five sets is, is going to be tough.
2: Yeah, well, we're, we're wrapped with the team that you've put together. You are in Group B, as you said. You'll be up against Greece and Spain. Um, didn't quite get go the full way last year but a, a really impressive performance so the team you've got Demonor, you mentioned milman uh he just continues to impress he's he's up to um his ranking is is increasing year on year so you'd be you'd be happy with that no nick Kyrgios though do we know what nick's plans are ahead of his preparation for the australian open Yeah, so the ATP Cup's
1: different to the uh, Davis Cup in terms of the captain or the federation doesn't actually choose who's in the team. Uh, Because there's ATP points on the line, it's purely all off-ranking. So for this year, the number one and two singles players automatically get picked off-ranking. And so as Nick didn't play all year, then Alex and Johnny were number one and two. Uh, so they go straight into those positions. And then in the doubles, it's John Piers and Luke Saville, mm. South Australia's Luke Saville. So um, it's a great opportunity for those boys as well to play against some of the absolute best players. And, and we get both our matches Tuesday and Wednesday night on Rod Labour Arena. So um, Nick's going to be, he entered one of the, uh, the local tournaments. So it's like the equivalent to the Adelaide International, but it's getting played in Melbourne. Uh, so he's going to play one of those ATP events uh, to try and get some matches before the Australian Open. So he's going to be around the place. It's going to be crazy times at Melbourne Park, to be honest. I think there's six different events going on in the precinct and the one week before the Australian Open. So it's something that uh, you'll probably never see again.
5: <laughs> we love seeing the South Australians do well. And you did mention Luke Saville. We spoke to a young man and our 24-year-old um, lead two yesterday. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, um, Leighton, but th- this is a bloke who's just won tournament on tournament, a bit of a comeback, uh, trying to get back into the Australian Open. Wild card up for grabs. Um, are you familiar with his work? And uh, we just sort of mentioned to him that uh, perhaps um you could possibly pull some strings because you certainly do know some people.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, no, we know Lee too, and it, yeah, it is an incredible story. um Yeah, he he went back and started coaching and and did a lot of work on the practice court, and and he's played a lot of UTR events, and. Um, I guess it's hard for those guys at the moment because they just can't get in enough events worldwide. So the tours are really working hard to get the top events on um, but to try and get that next tier of tournaments on isn't easy. So, um, yeah, that, that last wild card that was Andy Murray. So that's actually one of the Australian Open tournaments. So I think Craig Tiley's in charge of that one right at the moment, and I'm not sure uh, where that's going to fall.
2: Mm. Who would be the front do you think? We, we spoke to Lee, so there's all sorts of different op, uh, options, lucky losers and, um, you know, the discretion of the tournament, Craig Tiley, as you mentioned. Would the front runner? would you have someone in mind that would get that last spot?
1: Uh, not really at the moment, yeah. because to to be honest i um it 's probably never happened like this before. Normally, always qualies happens, you know, four days before the event. There's not a big break in between. So purely once that happens, you don't normally get somebody that can't come to your tournament as a wildcard. They're normally mostly all Australians that are already here. So it's a totally different situation. I know I'm sure Wally Masua, who's head of performance, he'll be talking to Craig Tiley and and they'll have to work it out. Probably, I I would imagine they'll probably hold off until uh, they see some results as well, which happen through next week.
2: Hey, the, the the prize money of the Australian Open is remaining the same, like the total purse is the same, but the way that it's been divided up, Leighton, is a little bit different. So the first-round loser is up 11% in terms of what they are going to get paid and also qualifiers, their prize money is up as well. Are you supportive of that and looking to spread the prize money and reward you know, guys that are outside the top 100, top 150 in the world?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing overall. You know, We see it at the end package and it's nice for the winners and the runner-up to get a massive uh check um presented to them on the final sunday the australian open um but you know i I think a lot of these guys do it a lot tougher than people probably imagine Mm. um on the tour throughout the year and i I think especially in these times now with this pandemic and the travel and, and these guys pretty much the australian guys can't come back throughout the year So it's a massive uh, challenge for them to be on the road and to try and find a place to stay and train throughout the year now because if they look to come back to Australia, there's a two-week lockdown quarantine. So uh, it's a lot of different challenges at the moment. I think the way the the prize money got split, especially for the qualifiers that couldn't play in Australia, a lot of our young Aussies that went over to play that, to play in Doha or Dubai, some of them, their first experience of playing in the Australian Open overseas, which I, I couldn't mm. couldn't imagine that. You know, I played my first at 15 in Melbourne. I was fortunate enough to qualify, and it, and it's something you to work towards for so long um and so for these other kids to to go over there and play overseas in these times is is a strange feeling but you know in the years to come they're going to get the same opportunity to play here in Melbourne which would be great so
2: uh Novak's on 17 Grand Slams which is extraordinary Rafa and Roger 20 each Novak's younger Leighton Does, does he eclipse all of them when it's all said and done I think he probably does what's your view
1: yeah, probably. Yeah, as long as his body holds up, I think he has a chance to win on all four surfaces or all four Grand Slams on the three different surfaces. So, uh, you'd have to think so. But, you know, you watch Rafa play at the French Open and and he looks still nearly unbeatable. And what he did to Novak in the final of that, um, Rafa still, especially on hard court at the US Open or the Australian Open, has a has a really good chance as well. So, a lot's going to depend on the bodies um, and how they hold up over the next few years um, and see if Roger can squeak out one more possibly if he gets back and maybe gets his chance at Wimbledon this year, later this year as well.
2: Now I know you, you focus uh, heavily, more heavily on the men's side because of your role as Davis Cup captain but, but who do you like on, on the ladies side and Ash Barty hasn't played in, in almost a year. How do you think she will
1: return? Yeah, I guess it's hard uh, for Ash to, to know. You know, she's going to be fresh and motivated, but not playing, not being match-hardened, I guess, going in. So she'll be really looking to get some good matches under her belt over the next week or so before the Australian Open. Same boat as Nick Kyrgios, really, that he's in hasn't played for a year either. So there's a few unknowns with those. Um, and just how they'll react to the nerves and pressures of being back out there playing, but also how their body will react after a tough match, too. Uh, on the women's side, you know, you can never write off Serena. Um, I think uh, Simona Hallop will be in with another great shot. She puts herself in contention nearly every Grand Slam. And, and Victoria Azarenka, I think, is, uh, you know, she's a great competitor and plays well in Australia. Now, Leighton,
2: you've, got, you've also got another passion as well. We're, we're a little bit flat, we're a bit disappointed. Your horse evening glory recently won, and there was no tip coming through. From you, but um, <laughs> in action again, um, Morphville tomorrow. Uh, what's the inside word on Evening Glory?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I have to speak to the Freedman camp, who <laughs> are trainers uh, later today, and see what they think. But um, now he's run awfully well the last two starts. I mean it with a few of the uh, the tennis boys, Darren Kale. Groffy, Jamie Crabb, Peter Lucha, Hayden Eckerman. So a few of the guys are in. It's a bit of fun. He um, won it last start at Caulfield. It ran really well. Uh, Groffy and I actually went. And, uh, yeah, Big Groffy was sweating up a storm before the race. and uh, <laughs> He probably had a little bit too much on it, I think. He was pretty nervous <laughs> watching it. Uh, but it was well written by Jamie Carr. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens tomorrow.
2: Well, mate, we we thought, who better to get on? It's a massive day in Adelaide today. The biggest names that that we've ever seen and, as you said, may never happen again. So we appreciate you coming on and previewing it with us. Good luck for the ATP starting soon with your star-studded team and then we look forward to seeing you on Channel 9 as part of the coverage of the Australian Open.
1: No way. Thanks, guys.
2: Cheers.